This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It has been so easy for me to start my very own podcast. And the best part, it's free. There is a creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer so you never miss that moment of inspiration. Anchor does all the hard work for you and will distribute your podcast so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and it doesn't matter the level of your experience. Just download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today and let your voice be heard. Welcome to On The Bounce, where we discuss resilience and its practical application in our lives. Together, we'll discover the tools needed to empower ourselves, develop positive thoughts, and accomplish our goals to become the best versions of ourselves. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode on On the Bounce. Today, we have Eric again, my co-host, and we're joined with Mark Holman, who I am so excited to have this to have this episode today, who's going to, we're going to share information about an extremely exciting program that we are both, uh, that we've all have the uh, opportunity to be part of. And we'll talk more about that. But just to, to a little bit of who Mark is, Mark Holman is the, the vice president for uh, resilience building leadership program, the corporate social responsibility uh, sector. So uh, Mark, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time and being part of this episode and really giving us an opportunity to go deeper in what the letters RBLP stands for. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Samira. I really appreciate the invite and being on. And Eric, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, look forward to having a, a really good conversation and sort of the back and forth. Uh, I always enjoy that. So I'm, I am raring to go. All right. Awesome. So let's begin with who you are, Mark, and how you, how this journey began. Okay. Um, Well, as stated, I'm the vice president of um, corporate social responsibility at the Resilience Building Leader Program. Uh, That is the organization. And um, my journey, obviously my background is I I was in the Marine Corps for 28 years. I retired uh, E9 Master Gunnery Sergeant. Um, I Traveled about, did a bunch of different things in the Marine Corps for 28 years, uh, you know, gave education, some certifications along the way. And then when I transitioned, I retired in 2010. Um, and actually, I, I then went to the private sector, worked at a Fortune 200 company as a project manager, a program manager, and an operations manager. Um, the last and all were in federal contracts, right? So very familiar with the federal space. Uh, being a part of it at one time for 28 years and then being on the other side as the contractor. So <laughs> it's interesting dynamic. Uh, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I resigned from that company uh, after about eight and a half years. And I did some uh, some private consulting uh, with various companies and organizations that I had worked with in the past. Uh, and that was really interesting for me because I was just trying to find that next thing, right? Like, you know, wh- where is my space? And interesting enough, 
uh, Dr. Gene Coglin, who is our CEO and founder. I've known Dr. Gene for 38 years. Okay, uh, we go way back, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I knew him before he was in the Marine Corps. Okay, uh, and so, so he, he and I met at this event. We had sort of been out of touch for a bit, and then we connected to this event. And I remember he sat there and he was explaining about you know his dissertation and his PhD, and he had this vision, uh, the vision for what we and affectionately Eric Samira, you, you all understand this being veterans that <clears throat> about collective resilience and, and what that means. And as we started talking, he was explaining to me how, well, you know, it, it's the resilience building leader program. And, and we wanted to create a curriculum and one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, with an adjunct instructor. And he had a vision that he wanted to be able to, uh, pull people together who were frontline supervisors, middle managers, and senior leaders in organizations on how, what does that formula look like to build a collectively resilient team? Now, coming from your background service in the military, I think all of us can appreciate this, that we learned in about 48 hours when we stepped off the bus, either at basic training or OCS, we were just not going to make it through this by ourselves. <laughs> and if, and if we didn't... <laughs> If we didn't figure out how to become a team and count on each other and have each other's back, uh, we, we were not going to see graduation day. That was not going to happen. Right. So so that was hardwired into our DNA from day one. And then many years later, whether folks serve three years or two years or four or 20 or 30, it doesn't matter. That stays with you. You know, the power in collectively resilient teams and what that means. Interesting enough. When I transitioned, um, you know, <laughs> I I found that there in the civilian sector there are some very effective, very amazing leaders. I mean, they're just amazing, right? And then there's some folks who, you know, I I think they have sort of learned to lead by how they were brought up. You know, they they didn't expand beyond the norm. They didn't uh, do these things like their teams would work in silos. They they hardly ever solve problems together. It was, well, that's Carl's problem. Well, I gave it to Sally. I did my job. You know, those kind of comments would literally, as as a retired Marine, those drove me up the wall, right? Because it's not about individuals. It's about team. And yes, we, we all have a performance report annually, and we have to go through that and set smart goals, and we know all that. But in the end, the team's delivery to clients is what counts and having a quality product. But you don't do that by yourself because you're not the best at everything. And it's a collective effort that causes that to occur. So he and I were discussing this and he's going through it. And he was explaining what his vision was. And he said, I, I think this could be a certification. I mean, literally at that level, because interesting enough, when you go and let's say you Google, say leadership certifications, right? And people go, oh, there's tons of them out there. And I said, did you see the word certification or certificate? And they go, well, I saw certificate, same thing. Mm -mm, nope, nope. <laughs> I could, I have a four-inch binder that, that I could literally hurt a person if I threw it at them. It's so many documents in it over the course of 38 years of leadership where I've been to tons of fellows program and leadership training of certificates that I have earned. Right. And there's nothing wrong with improving the mind, whatever approach you take. But there is a difference between a certificate and a certification. And that's what he wanted to make this. And 
<clears throat> if you think about all the certifications that do exist, things like PMP, uh, SHRM, Agile, Scrum, all these things you can go through, right? They, they are important and they do help in your career. But at the same time, they're about processes, right? But like I always say to people, and I say it in a joking manner, I say, unless your goal is to get a job, say, working in a server farm with an IT group, and you're going to be in charge of servers and F5 load balancers every day when you walk into work, and you're going to deal with machines all day long, mm. you're probably going to have a leadership job leading people. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, it's a wild guess of mine, but I'm thinking the odds are high in that degree, right? Um, and so that means processes are processes are important and that you understand them and they're critical to the development of the skill set. But at the end of the day, those processes have to be weaved in with people and people get the work done and teams get the work done. Mm-hmm. And this concept of collective resilience, when he when he got done explaining it to me, and it was really interesting because through his research, he found a lot of uh, research done actually on individual resilience. Mm-hmm. But interesting enough, that research was done on children, not adults. Interesting. Yeah. Which, you know, you think about children need to be in, you know, collective, you know, that individual resilience is important to children, right? And their growth and their independence and be able to stay on their feet and be confident. And then he kept digging and digging. And what he found, his first touch of finding any type of collective resilience uh, research that had been done was after 9-11. And you can imagine why, right? So if you think about working as a team and being collectively resilient as a team, right? You know, you can think of things like when 9-11 happened, what happened in our country? You know, the, the CIA had their little pack of information, you know, um, you know, uh, NASA had theirs, NIS had theirs, you know, the FBI had theirs. And what did they not do? Part of the problem of 9-11 was they didn't share that information. They weren't working collaboratively as a team, collective resilience together and for the goal, the common goal, which is protecting Americans. Right. So so that's when collective resilience and that research started up. So he took some of that and then he had to do a lot of his own. Um, and when he was all done, I just looked at him and I said, you've hit the mother load. This is the goal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what we have in our DNA has not really been codified in any type of formal training and certification process. Right. And I said, well, how would the certification exam go? He goes, it'll be an oral certification exam. I said, ooh, that's amazing. And it's amazing because, you know, we've all had some certification and you report at the test center. You know how that goes. And you show them your ID and you got your little tiny locker and you put stuff away. And then they they have you give you some time to you know collect your thoughts. And then they say, go. And you put two fingers up and you say, well, when in doubt, I got a 25 percent chance of being right. Let me, let me you know, <laughs> pick pick C. OK, keep going. Right. You know, if you're ever in doubt or nervous. Right. But in the oral certification exam, you can both attest to this. You have to articulate your understanding. You know, what is creating, you know, to create a positive climate, right? What does that mean? What does it do to provide purpose, develop cohesion? You know, what does it mean to facilitate team learning? You know, what is an experiential learning model? You have to understand that. And so when he explained that, and I said, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. But if you think about it, all the years of leadership, you know, if somebody gave you sort of an outline and say, hey, Here's seven elements that you can create a positive climate. Start here. And you said, oh, my gosh. If you knew nothing else or you weren't sure where to go, this defines it and it breaks it down. And this is steeped in research and things he found on the feedback. And when he did his interviews, it was it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews in all different types of industry. 
it wasn't exclusively with military. I mean, it was in, in manufacturing and in health and and in first responders and various things like that across the gambit, if you will. And they all kept coming back to the same theme over and over again. So a lot of those things that you both can probably attest to, you know, earning your certification, that those things resonated with you right off the bat because they just they just make sense. But, you know. But what was it Nietzsche said once? Common sense is not common among all men, right? <laughs> so, so you find people trying to reinvent the wheel when the truth is, you know, be brilliant at the basics. And if you know what those are, you have the right ingredients. So so then he asked me, um, I did some things for him for a bit. And then he came back to me a couple of weeks later and he called me and says, hey, I got to have you on the team. He says, I, I want you to come on the team. And, and of course, you know, it was a new company. It was a startup. And anybody who's had experience with startups, you know, you're, you know, you, you, you can't walk in with ego, right? You, you might be, you might be the guy sweeping the floors or dumping the trash, or you might be writing a process document, or you might be onboarding folks. Like, it just keeps changing as we grow and we evolve. Um, and you can never be too proud to take on any job. And I think that's what it's exciting in a startup. And, and I just, I had hundred percent confidence once he told me what it was. I said, it makes so much sense. I said, how, how do I get to be a part of this? And he goes, he goes, let me contact you in a couple of weeks. And he had everything worked out. He said, yeah, I need your board. I said, done. So I, I haven't looked back since and I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. I love the team we have. Um, I love the dynamic among the team and just the interaction you get to have with people. Um, I've done, you know, like I said, startup, you do a lot, right? Different things, right? <laughs> it's normal. Uh, I've probably conducted well over 85 to 90 coaching sessions myself, you know, wow. with folks and just really enjoyed the interaction and just, you know, you learn as much from them as you're sharing with them that they give to you. It's just an amazing uh, experience. So really goes a long way. So that that's that's me, my background, where I'm at and where I am today. So glad to be here. <laughs> so, Mark, thank you so much for sharing. There were so many parts that I definitely want to pick out as mm -hmm. we continue to uh, move sure. forward with this uh, with this process. But I think that even Eric can agree is that one of the things that uh, that resonates with us when we're talking about the collective resilience is the ability to communicate and connect. Mm -hmm. And this program uh, the, the certification brings those two elements together mm -hmm. and being able to, uh, recognize your experience, where you are connecting with the information and being able to communicate that. I think that right. is what makes it so special and what it, it's that, I think that click that goes off for people and just that ability to just say, you know what, you're, you're right. I, I, I understand this process and being able to um, evolve through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it's interesting in, in the coaching sessions I've conducted um, I've had folks who are frontline supervisors, you know, and, and you find, I, I, I would see this firsthand, especially in certain groups that uh, they take the best fill in the blank, you know, whatever mm. you want to fill in the blank with the best at a coder, uh, a, a, a you know, a grant writer, you'll know, pick one. They're the best at it. And they go, Hey, uh, Karen, you're in charge of the team now. And they go, cause you know, Karen knows everything about whatever, right? She's awesome at it. Right. <laughs> and they go, okay, go make it happen. And then their leadership kind of does a right face and keeps on marching. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, it's like, where, where is her leadership development? You know, she's never led a team. So she does the best she can. And she's a hard worker 
and very often, instead of instead of learning how to inspire and build collectively resilient teams to get things done and accomplished, right? Um, what's interesting is is that when somebody kind of sits on the sideline, Karen knows, well, I can jump in and do their job, mm. and and now you're you're not leading, uh, you know, you're not inspiring, you're not developing your team to be amazing, right? Uh, so, so for me, you know, I've had those folks who've had some real frank and honest questions about what do you do when. What happens when? Because no one's ever mentored them with this. And I've had people who are CEOs and founders that I've coached. And and those conversations are, you know, they're they're not devoid of any of that knowledge. But but I ask questions, I say, out of curiosity, when we get done with first three sessions, you know, we're we're targeted towards frontline supervisors. When's the last time you check to see if that's happening? And they do an honest gut check, you know, because it's one-on-one, you know, I mean, it's just you and me. And they look at me and go, yeah, that's a good point. Hold on. Let me make a note. I don't think I've checked that in a while, right? And we all know that the more senior you become in the military, you know, you get to that rank E9, you know, that leadership by walking around, Mm. you know, you go check on the squad, you go check at the platoon level, you know, you're not running it. I'm not here to run it. You know, you, you sit in the back of one of the meetings and you start hearing, is there psychological safety? Do people feel, is there active, you know, uh, engagement, active listening going on? Are people really feeling free to speak up? Or is it, what ideas do you have for this? You know, don't give me any brain head ideas. I don't want to hear that knucklehead stuff. You know, you hear that and then they go, nope, nothing staff, sorry, I got none for you. Nope, I'm good. All good here. That's because that climate's not exactly where it should be. Mm. And those ideas are not free flowing. You know, and again, look, everybody's led. You've asked for ideas and gotten them. Not everything is a home run. That's okay, too. All right. But it's how you handle that as a leader that inspires the next person to feel to take that, you know, million dollar idea they have and bring it up. So when I've had those conversations with them, it's been really interesting. You know, they're like, yeah, OK, between me and you, it's been a while. Yeah. I was like, no judgment. Not judging. I'm just saying. Might want to walk about your house occasionally. I'm just saying. You know, I said, and, and I'm not sitting here with a halo on. I've, I've had times I've had to smack myself in the mirror and go, hold on. I need to go check the front line because it's been a while since I've been down there. And and again, it's uh, it, it's a part of leadership. And we we all need reminders. We're all normal and human. We're not perfect. I say you bring up a great point there. And then Samara can uh, attest to this because she was I want to say she was our second class that uh, that I had taught. And we had just transitioned into that experience, experiential learning model. Mm-hmm. And putting them in a small group of four counselors, sitting them out at the table and saying, hey, here you go. Here's your task. And amongst the four of them trying to figure out that task. And you could really see who had never worked together as a team and who was used to doing it mm-hmm. as a uh, as an individual. And I really saw that a lot when um, in one class I had the bulk of my counselors were coming from the special operations community. Right. Where these guys are used to working individually, not working mm-hmm. collectively as a team. So when we put them into that, uh, into those groups and said, here, work through this, it, you really saw the true colors of a leader at that point. Right. You're exactly right, Eric. I mean, it, it, it becomes so obvious in that atmosphere and in that environment. You can see the ones who are comfortable as a bug in a rug and those who are sitting back and going, that you can just tell the tension in their and their the way they hold themselves. It's like this is really weird for me. I don't know what we're doing here, and it's okay. You know, face the fears. Let's talk about it, and then let's get there. That's it. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that we highlight because it's not only just in the military environment. Right? When we're talking about we're talking about collective resilience, it, it's applicable in all industries in mm-hmm. every part of of uh, an organization to include even family. And if you lose that ability to connect and to keep that element, to keep the team element together, then you are going to be constantly like that hamster in the wheel trying to evolve, improve these constant changes that are not going to be effective for the team to grow. Right. And and I always say the same thing. You know, it's sort of tongue in cheek and a bit of a humor added to it. But I say, let me ask you a question. I don't know if the certification's for me. Okay, fair enough. You know, I get that. You know, not everything's for everybody. Let me ask you a question. Do you lead folks? Well, yeah. I mean, not machines, right? People. Yeah. Okay. It's for you. Okay. <laughs> because I just, the, if you want a quick litmus test and, and sort of, you know, check there, get a check valve on that, go, do I lead people? And, and, and that's how you get things done is through your team. You know, it's so it was amazing to me when I transitioned, you know, I would get an HR partner. There would be um, a project or a program I was signed to and I would have an HR partner. Of course, you have to do the staffing and go through all that and post a position and write it and HR has to approve it. And then you post it out there and people apply and then they give you a short list between the recruiters and your HR partner. And then they bring them to you and they go, here's a short list, you know, and I go, OK, tell me about them. And then you go through all these steps. You know, and, and it's not always easy. I mean, it can be very convoluted and time consuming, but but you have a process and you follow it and you interview these folks and you have, you know, those those situational questions you ask them. And if I ask five out of categories, two, three, seven and six, then I have to ask those same questions. I follow all the rules. Right. You do all this work and you hire some amazing people and then they come to work for you. And then you don't give them a voice. And you're going, I wonder why production's slow. I don't know. Go look in the mirror. You are what we call a choke point. Okay. You don't let people be amazing. Why did you spend all that time? You know, I literally had an experience where they approached me and asked me to go assist the senior program manager. And I said, okay. I said, where's the big challenge? You know, when the VP of the business unit came to me and says, hey, could you help us out? I said, sure. Of course, you know, coming come from the Marine Corps, you, you know, you don't realize, you know, I literally had to get told in my first two years in the private sector, you know, you could say no, <laughs> like, you know, cause you know, you know how we roll, right? If, if you know, Keep hey, on hey, going. hey, Master Gunny, we need to go handle this. Roger that. Hey, Sergeant Major, we need, I got it. You know, it's done. It's taken care of, sir. I'll be right there. You know, but I was just like, okay. And I was there for the team. And interesting enough, it was really amazing to me that they said, what's the issue? Says, well, her financials. And I said, okay, fair enough. So I sat down with her and talked. I went through all the financials. I looked through the whole budget, everything. And it was so funny because the people on this project they had and, and this whole program, these were some of the level three, you know, instructional system designers, coders, developers. So there's level one, two, and three in the organization. And these were some of the most senior folks, extremely knowledgeable, well-vetted, and they were amazing. But then I spent like a week there and I watched every decision the leaders on the team couldn't make decisions to move forward. They had to wait for her to review it and approve it. It was a choke point. Mm. And so I watched this for about two weeks and, and I came in because I can be a little sarcastic at times. I said, hey, I have found a solution. I worked on this last night. We can save a lot of money and just this budget will be perfect. She goes, oh, my gosh. Well, can you brief me? I said, yeah, I'll brief you now if you want. She goes, OK, let's go. I said, what I've figured, I'll get with HR. And we can 
replace all the folks on the team with folks at level one that have a lower salary, the burn rate will be lower, our profit line will be higher, and it'll be amazing. She goes, I don't think you understand the complexity here on this program and what type we're developing. I said, oh, no, no, I get it. I said, but those amazing people keep coming up with ideas to move forward, and they have to wait on you to look at every single thing before they can move forward. I said, so I'm going to save you a lot of money. We're going to make a lot of money on this project. It's going to be amazing. I said, but you're going to be pretty well loaded. Just keep doing what you're doing, which is choking off every decision and have to be the ultimate say. She goes, oh, ha, 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 funny, Mr. Sarcastic. I said, no, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. I said, if you don't trust these folks, you went to the pain to hire them. They're amazing. They have amazing resumes and background and experience. You're not letting them do what they do is be amazing. She goes, I don't know. I said, give me a week. So, so she kind of sat in the bag and did some administrative things needed. I did this and they were like, well, here's, I said, well, and I'd ask questions. Well, you know, that book by John Maxwell, good leaders ask great questions, right? I'm not an IT guy by trade, but I do understand the structure. And I said, so what, what's the beta testing? What's it set up for? How long will it be? Do we have a plan? Do you have a backup plan? What if something goes wrong? What would we do instead? And they're like, well, I could write all that up. Sure. Yeah, write it up. Just send it to me. I said, and I think I think you're on a great track and we can move out. And sure enough, they did. Things started moving. We started producing. Deliverables started coming out. And it's <laughs> so I told her, I said, you got to trust them. I said, do they trust you? I said, and, and you got to extend that trust before you get it back sometimes. And she she's, she turned the corner in about six months. It was rocking and rolling. Another project popped up and program, and they asked me to go take that one over. So I said, okay. It, but it was, it wasn't, I wasn't bringing like the Holy Grail. It was just sometimes as leaders, we can't, we can't get out of our own way. We can't see what's in front of us and what the issue is. And it's that control and that trust to empower people to make decisions and act on them because that's what they're there for, you know, to do a good beta testing on this deliverable and coordinate it, set it. You two and I meet for 15, 20 minutes, give me a download brief. And um, if nothing sounds weird, move on, carry on, let's go. You know, so it, it's just that amount of leadership then in situations day to day. And I just kept, you know, so every time I have a conversation, people ask me, you know, when a coach says, have you ever dusted? Oh, yeah, I dealt with that. <laughs> I said, you know, 38 years later, I've, I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a lot of things that really kind of blew my mind and I had to figure out what the issue was. So I, I think that's a challenge we all have. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, I absolutely agree with you. And um, it is very relatable. And you see these challenges in organizations mm-hmm. time and time again. And as you mentioned before, it is sometimes the we, we are preventing ourselves from letting success happen mm-hmm. and not having not having the trust and the confidence in our employees to do what we hired them to do. And and not only that, the the rippling effect that comes along with that, you know, when we're talking about the climate, we're talking about the culture, and we're talking about all the other impacts that comes from just that, that you being the barrier from letting uh, employees be confident in their abilities uh, has long-term effects in the organization. Mm-hmm. And you're going to lose good people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's going to happen. I mean, it, turnover is a part of it. I mean, it always is. It, that's that's your highest cost when you have turnover. That, that's mm-hmm. your labor burn. And, you know, my, my last program I was on as the operations manager, I had 3,200 people in four states. You know, 
they, they could have built a whole server farm over again twice. Mm. My, my labor cost would surpass it in 60 days easy. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of labor. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, you, you've got to take care of the people you have. You have to train your team. You have to start developing things like, you know, smart goals, obviously for individuals, but for your team, Yeah. you know, you know, have them specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, you know? And it's so funny. The first time I put out a team goal, it was so funny because I had a guy on my team says, so if I do my part and I finish my section, I'm good, right? I said, no, <laughs> no. I said, if the whole team don't get this done, you all fail. Well, that didn't seem right. Well, welcome to a team, you know? And they, they got real tight real fast. They, they were very standoffish. But, you know, whether it was pain or misery or whatever they felt it was, it brought them together. And they were very tight. Took them about, took them about a good month to really get a good battle rhythm going. But after that, they couldn't be stopped. And their confidence just went through the roof. And, and they were some amazing folks. And I knew that I, I saw all their backgrounds, you know, when I got like, you've done this. What, why are we second guessing ourselves? I, I believe in you, you know. So again, it, it's a little bit different, but I think very often people take the term resilience, you know, and as far as, you know, what does resilience mean? You and know, I, that brings up a great point there, Mark, um, because like uh, with uh, our background between mine and Samara's being a career counselor and everything, mm-hmm. uh, we work environments where we are the only one doing that job. We're yep. one deep and yep. we could be in organizations where all of our career counselors are in the same location. Or our career counselors are scattered. So I just give you a quick background, like on my unit that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm scattered across 19 installations within the U.S. I have 15 career counselors across those locations, and a lot of these career counselors and these these senior NCOs are managing programs, but I'm not right there with them. And you brought up a great point in the fact of well, if I do my piece of the puzzle, then I'm good. No, just because you're doing your piece of the puzzle. The command is still sh- struggling because we need everybody mm-hmm. collectively. We, we need everybody to work together. So creating that, like you said, that smart goal for a team, that mm-hmm. was a huge struggle with my command as I started implementing that piece into it. Uh, it made it a big challenge for a lot of people that's used to having everybody right there with them mm-hmm. and working together as a team right there at the same table versus now working together as a team, but you're scattered all over the place. You're doing it through Zoom. You're doing it through Microsoft Teams. Right. You're doing it through teleconferences, however you may be doing those those meetings. And it, it is a big difference. And mm-hmm. it does test the word, as you said, resiliency. And what is that resilient factor when it comes to collectively working together as that team and taking those shortfalls and those positives and putting them together and now trying to come up with that solid product. Yeah. And, and, and you're exactly right. It, it, it doesn't come to everyone at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the challenge, right? Uh, others like really dig in immediately. And some are like, Oh, you know, I got my mission. I'm uh, done. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, it, it's not, I, you know, it, it's us. And so we need to pull together. Uh, it does make it challenging. It really does. So let's take a moment, and since we've kind of highlighted the benefits of collective resilience, let's mm-hmm. talk about RBLP and the services that um, it provides and um, what you can expect out of it. Yeah, well, no, that's a great question. Thanks, Samira. I appreciate that. Um, 
you know, RBLP Resilience Building Leader Program, and, uh, and and I'll just say this now, and I'll say it again later. If folks are going, well, how do I find RBLP? Right? Uh, it's the Resilience Building Leader Program, right? And you go, well, I got to type all that in the Google browser. That's like, I was like, well, you can. I said, or what I'd recommend you do is type in RBLP, Romeo Bravo Lima Papa. Okay, put that in Google and hit enter. The whole first page will be the Resilience Building Leader Program. Okay, I just make it easier for you. So, so when folks are looking for this, that's the easy way to do it. Um, yeah, at RBLP, uh, one of the things we do, we we have a quality curriculum that's steeped in the research and subject matter experts that have been put together to sort of codify and put this out, this product uh, called a professional certification. And it was, you know, it, it's steeped in deep, detailed research and a lot of subject matter experts that came to the table. Um, we, we offer the one-on-one exam prep training that you can do with us. And it's conducted virtually, uh, you know, with your adjunct instructor. And, and I think a lot of folks have commented and a lot of folks have approached this and said, hey, could you come to our organization and do like three days of classes? And we, you know, we say that's not what we do, uh, you know, but but we do have some uh, third party vendors that we partner with that will provide that. But here at RBLP, we still believe in the business model we started, which is the one on one uh, coaching that is done, because I think during that encounter is where you can really sort of, you know, bear all your thoughts and feel comfortable connecting with someone, Uh, because imagine if you will. You know, I get to the first session and I ask questions like, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you trust your boss? And your boss is sitting in the back of the room. I, I think I'm going to get a whole lot of north and south. Yes, we do. You know, when somebody in the room is going, nope, you know, and and it's important when I've done one on one. You, you've both experienced that. I think you can feel comfortable to say, nope, not really. And you say, OK, well, why is that? Let's dig into that. Well, because of you know, information at the last minute, left hanging, uh, removing things, not telling anybody, not communicate, you know, all the things, the laundry list that causes that to occur. So that's why we stay with that. Um, We have an oral certification exam, as I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, We offered that. As far as we also have started and have started to uh, put together and create and post uh, continuing education courses for those who want to be able to learn more uh, about this, things like emotional intelligence, uh, various things like that, that we're going to be posting here soon. And we also have academic advisors, uh, which is something new that we brought on to RBLP. That means that much like at a university, you would have an academic advisor. Well, with the RBLP certification, there is an academic advisor. And um, they're, they're broken down into a couple of different categories. We have two on right now, and we're really looking forward to that. They're engaging with folks um, as they start into their program and after they complete it and earn their certification. Uh, they stay up with them, keep them current on things, make them aware of different opportunities uh, that folks you know, could check into. We've also created a LinkedIn group, a community of practice for our all RBLP certified individuals that can have various discussions, uh, things of that nature. And we're also starting something uh, new as far as like a, a Facebook Live uh, opportunity where folks can join those and kind of ask their questions. Hey, I went to the site. I saw this. What do I do? You know, and just sort of a forum there for people to get information and ask questions. Um 
one of the other things that we're working on, and we're really excited about this, it's still in development. We're kind of moving towards the end of wrapping it up and hopefully to get something we can all slap the table on and say, thumbs up, let's move out, uh, is the RBLP team program. So the RBLP team program is going to be the first three sessions of Create a Positive Climate, uh, Provide Purpose and Develop Cohesion for focused at teens, 14 to 18 year olds are going to be the demographics. So those folks who work in uh, community organization, teachers, coaches, um, there's tons of organization who work with teens, right? And this is an opportunity to talk about what are the elements? Let's let's talk about earning trust. What does that look like? Uh, and it's going to be fused with guided discussions and input. And there's going to be a student guide and an instructor guide. It'll be placed on our site when we're all done so that uh, those folks involved working with teens uh, can download it for free and they can have it at their uh, local area and work with teens and go through all seven tasks times three is 21 guided discussion training sessions they can do with teens uh, to be more effective leaders and involved and figure out some of the things why they're important. And then... um, we also are working on developing our own podcast. Uh, that's that's still a work in progress. We're we're taking steps in that direction. Looking forward to that. Um, and and then of course we have our giving back program uh, at RBLP. Uh, one of our core values at RBLP is to give back to our community along the way. And what we do in the giving back program is is the one that I lead for the organization. Uh, connect with select nonprofits in the United States. And those folks that we meet with and connect, we do a partnership. And we have, in last year, we committed $100,000 worth of free exam prep training and certification exams for select nonprofits. Because as you know, nonprofits, you know, at the end of the day, they're still a business, just like any other business, right? But even as a 501c3, they depend heavily on donations and grants that they can write to get money to help those for which they were created. So what we do is, I tell folks all the time when I meet with them, I said, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't build ventilators here at RBLP. We don't do PPE, but what we do is we offer, you know, professional leadership training and a professional, a professional certification. For them to be able to do that, they would have to take money away from those that are there to help. So what we do is we partner with them, and we provide that to them at no cost. And their folks can go through this session. They can learn. They can earn their certification and take that back and apply that within their nonprofit because there's there's challenges there, just like in every industry you have out there. So we're very proud of that and very excited. Uh, so that that's sort of, uh, if you will, the, the lines of effort that we have here at RBLP and uh, continuing to grow and very excited about it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so... We, uh, we definitely talk a lot about our military population. For military population, how can they move forward with RBLP and uh, get their certification? What services do, are, are available to them? No, that's it's a really great question. That's it's a very large population, as we all know. Okay, um, The Resilience Building Leader Program is actually an approved vendor for the Credentialing Opportunities Online Program right? The cool program, a lot of folks know it as, right? And that means that any individual out there uh, who is on active duty or active guard or reserve, right? They can contact their cool office. 
at which time uh, they can submit their application there with Cool. Um, and then of course they wanna come to our site and submit their application on the RBLP website so that they get feedback as to what level of certification they're qualified for, right? Uh, because when you go into Cool, they're gonna say, okay, great, we have this money in a bucket with your name on it. Every soldier, sailor, airman, and Marine, we, you know, we have these uh, it's set aside. That's what this program is for, to earn a professional certification. That sounds great. Uh, which one are you qualified for? And you go, oh, I haven't checked with them. Yeah. So apply at RBLP, submit your application. We will apply back to you. And then you'll say, okay, you're qualified for the RBLP C, the coach level or the T trainer level. And then when you go into cool and you submit your application there with them, you can tell them which certification that you're working to earn. And then they will fund that. Uh, at which time, once they do, uh, we will contact you and tell you to go ahead and order that training for that level and then assign you a certification instructor. Or if you happen to know one of our certification instructors, you can always request one by name. Uh, that's certainly an option for you. Uh, but if you don't, that's okay. We'll, we'll match you up with someone. Uh, and then that way they will connect with you, that uh, adjunct instructor, and then start to coordinate the best day of the week and time for you. Uh, to meet so that you can do your one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. Okay. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit more about this one-on-one -on -one coaching session. Cause I think that mm -hmm. it's, it was really, it's something really special about that opportunity and why has um, Dr. Jean um, emphasized to maintain that one-on-one -on -one coaching session? Yeah, I, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think the approach is, is this, right? If, if you're going to learn there are times in learning that you can't check the block. You got to bear your soul and you've got to feel comfortable in doing that. Um, and as we discussed earlier, you know, if, if you're in a group setting, you may or may not feel comfortable. And I think when you, when you rip and shred all the veneer away and you expose what's inside, like how you're feeling things you've encountered challenges you've had in this area. If it's, you know, we were talking earlier, Eric, about the experiential learning model. Some folks are very familiar and it goes very well. When you get to reflective observation, sometimes it is a, I mean, well, if so-and-so would have only done, it becomes a blame game. And then it's, it's turmoil within the team and it's not, it's not productive at all. Right. And we go back to things we've learned, like, you know, treat your team, ensure your team members treat each other with respect. This is not a blame game. We're a team. We're going to solve this. You, you can't really get to that when you're in a group setting at times. And, and, and again, I have nothing against it. And neither does Dr. Gene. If folks want to have a session and put a group together and, and do this, awesome. If that works for you, great. We just believe the one-on-one -on -one is better. That's what the business model was built off of. And we stay with that. But like I said, there are third-party vendors who are fully equipped and well good to do that. And they do a great job. So that is, is really sort of the essence of it. I think people can really feel comfortable one-on-one -on -one to say the things that they feel good about and the things they don't feel so good about. And even say, hey, have you ever experienced this? Like, I'm dealing with this now. Like, I mean, I'm out of ideas, you know? And then, and then again, it it's not in the curriculum, but I, I sort of take a slight detour and go, well, what have you done thus far? Okay. Well, how did that work? Okay. Okay. Here's some suggestions I would give you. Okay. Um, you know, people say there's problems with this. And, and I said, well, who did you ask? Well, I asked training if they would do this. I said, well, did you ask HR? And they say, well, I didn't ask HR. I said, you do know that in the private sector, the one group in the entire company who is legally bound to tell you 
is your HR department, right? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, training might go, I don't think we have that at all, right? I don't know. I'm not an HR guy. I don't know benefits. Uh, I'm, I'm in training, right? Um, an IT person might say, nah, I don't, I've never heard of that here. It's because they've never asked. doesn't mean the company doesn't have it. So, so there's different ways. And, and those are just some examples of things you run into. Or, you know, I had one young lady, this was amazing. In a one-on-one, she, she had uh, a colleague who was a manager in a different department. And he was really condescending with her. And not like privately one-on-one in passing. I mean, it was in front of a group. And she said, you know, well, you know, and this, the comments were not appropriate. And they, she goes, I, I don't know. I'm at wit's end. I said, real simple. She goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, you must have the courage. You go say, can I speak to you aside? You pull them aside and you say, look, Bob, Ralph, whoever, um, I don't appreciate it. I think it's unprofessional. And I'm not going to be disrespected like that. You have an issue. You bring it to me. You and I will work it out. But don't ever do that to me again. We clear? I said, and then all you wait for is Bob to nod north and south. And, you know, and that's it. And then you just do an about face and go about your day. I said, if Bob persists, explain to Bob, Bob, if this doesn't change, I feel compelled to go to HR. You'll get Bob's full attention then. Okay. I said, you got to stand your ground. And she was a new manager. She's a middle manager and she was getting her C. And she asked this question. And I said, there are processes, is my point. The first thing is to do to let somebody know that's inappropriate. I don't appreciate it and don't do it again. Okay, that's it. You, you've made yourself known and you gain your respect as a, co- a colleague, a fellow manager at that level. I said, but if it continues, then we have to have a different discussion as to kick it up a level. And I'm fine to do that too. I said, but it, it's, it's letting people know where you stand and having your voice. And she goes, okay, okay. I, I think I can do that. Our next session, she came back and of course, Carl or Bob, whoever he was, he, of course, he's sideways again. She told him off. She goes, I couldn't believe it. He, he, he was stuttering when he talked. He said he was sorry. He didn't realize. I said, okay, any other problems after that? No, no, he, he we, we get along just fine now. I go, okay. <laughs> so, so sometimes it, it takes, if you've never been in that situation, I mean, the first time I had to call somebody out, you know, it wasn't comfortable. But knowing we got your back, we've all been through it. We've seen this. We all cross that road sometimes in our career, and you have to. So that's sort of the power in the one-on-one to me that folks feel compelled to bring these things up, to walk away, not just with the curriculum and a better understanding of it and a connection to the concepts, but they have the benefit of somebody with years of leadership experience who've encountered a lot of things, can share suggestions or ideas and give them the confidence that you're on the right path. That's the right thing to do. You should never feel disrespected in the workplace. No, and I think I, I agree with that piece of it because um, I know like when I was going through mine, it, the fact of I knew my adjutant instructor. So it was a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Sure. But that's a that's a key phrase that we hear a lot recently in the fact of you got to be comfortable in the uncomfortable situation. You have mm-hmm. to make yourself vulnerable. If you're not making yourself vulnerable, you're really not going to peel back that onion and really get down to the root of the cause that's going on. Right. And, um, and and I like that one-on-one environment because of that. Mm-hmm. And when you're working with somebody, especially somebody you don't know, it may take you two or three sessions to finally open up. But guess what? Once you open up, that floodgate opens mm-hmm. and then everything starts pouring out. Um, I, I really do like that model and the fact of doing that one-on-one. And I know when I did my examination with Dr. Gabby, 
Mm-hmm. I told her right up front. I'm like, I'm very nervous uh, doing this oral examination. And I mean, I've been an instructor for three years. I talked <laughs> to high level leadership, right. no issues. Right. You put me in front of somebody that I don't know and say, hey, you got to talk for three and a half hours about this, this, and this. Yeah, no, I was nervous. So yeah, I definitely agree that one-on-one session will cause somebody to really think about what they're doing. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Eric. And, and, and I'll tell you, you know, doc, Dr. Gabby is amazing. I mean, she is amazing, right? And and the feedback that folks have said from our exam administrators, which is a whole different section of RBLP. Um, but but they say, you know what? I, I, I don't know why, but you know, after about 30 minutes, I didn't feel like I was really an exam, but having a exactly. good, solid leadership discussion and sharing these ideas back and forth in my understanding of it and really, you know, even picking up more as I went along. This was great. You know, absolutely. and I think that's the point. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But I do want to ask is the mm-hmm. for RBLP, the certification, is it industry specific? Is it um, who is it available to? It is available to anyone who wants to earn their certification and know that they are ready to build collectively resilient teams. That, that's who it's for. So if, again, un, unless your job requires you go and stare at machines all day and you never interact with another human being and you're not in charge of their development whatsoever, you, it's still still nice to have. But I don't know how much use you can do telling the machines they don't really, unless you program them, they don't really do what you say. and They really can't grow unless you add more bandwidth or, you know, or, or knowledge to them. So, so anyone, and I think that's the interesting part. We've had people from all different types of industry. Um, you know, we've had people uh, just, you know, just to, not to not to belabor this point and, and, and beat this down, but just to, to give you a, a quick uh, once over, if you look at some of the, like the folks where we have RBLP certified leaders right now, we have people like an Amazon, Deloitte, L3 Harris, uh, Pepperdine, all the branches of the military, right? University of Maryland medical system, Microsoft, uh, Cornell University, the Walt Disney Company, um, Rutgers, you know, Medtronics, USAA. Uh, we have folks at FEMA and the government labs that have earned their RBLP certification. So, that is a broad spectrum. And then, of course, we we had, you know, 25, 27 nonprofits we partnered with this year, and we've already partnered with another 15 this year, um, you know, in, in all different types of industry, deal with everything, folks in the military, folks in the private sector, uh, folks in nonprofit, in the government, um, you know, we even have folks who are in the government who have earned a certification. So, Again, it, it's not, you know, a specific industry. Again, if you are a leader that is ready to build collectively resilient teams, this certification will will be a huge, huge benefit for you. Awesome. Is it only available in the States? Uh, no. No, actually, it's not. And interesting enough, um, we... we allow anyone, obviously, right, available to apply on our site uh, who wants to earn their certification. Right now, we have folks like in Canada, uh, New Zealand, Japan, Spain, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Germany, Italy, Guam, who have earned their certifications as well. And, um, and all have given some great feedback on it. 
you know, because you always wonder, like, culturally from one area to another, you know, would this translate? And I think at the end of the day, you know, leaders are leaders. It, it doesn't matter what language you speak. You have a team and you get that done through supporting and leading your team in a positive direction and letting them be amazing. Create the environment where they get to be amazing. Awesome. I appreciate that, Eric. So I definitely want to have you, how does, how does RBLP compare to other credentialing programs? Well, I, I think, you know, what we were talking about earlier, um, it was really interesting because, uh, like I said earlier, I, I, I did a quick Google search and then a couple of things popped up and there were some other things. I look at it as there's a lot of professional certifications out there. Right. And I mentioned those earlier, you know, the PMP, the SHRM, Agile, Scrum, Lean Six Sigma, all those things. And they're about processes. That's important. We look at this not as an either or, but the RBLP certification is a complement to those because ultimately your project management, you're going to have to interface with a client. You're going to have to inspire, lead and give direction to a team. You got to build a collective resilient team to work through deadlines and and deliverables and all those things. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, even if you're, you know, you're, you're getting agile or scrum or lean six Sigma. you got a process, but the process has to be executed by people and they have to understand it. It has to be communicated and you have to be trusted and they have to be empowered to make decisions. That's where the RBLP certification comes in because processes are important, but you also need to lead people. And I look at it as a compliment. It, it's not in competition with them because they, they are valuable to folks and they're certainly of value. Um, but when you think of listing you know, a lot of people have that. If you listed an RBLP T certification, you know, somebody in HR is going to catch that certification and they're, and they're going to say, what is this? Tell me about this certification. And, you know, when you start telling them, they're going to go, oh my gosh, like this person gets it. They, they get it. And I'll tell you for, for those on active duty, and we talked about the cool program a moment ago, it is, and I, and I've, I've had many of these coaching sessions, right? And, you know, we were talking about the experiential learning model. Like the first three sessions, most folks in the military, they, they get them, they understand it, but they appreciate the fact that things are now put together. They go through that. They feel very confident. They get into things like experiential learning model and, and very, you know, point blank, Eric, to what we were talking about earlier, right, is I've had them in a coaching session and I go, so when you got to this section here on the first part on session four, um, you know, what were your thoughts on this? I got to be honest, Mark, I, I've, I've never seen this. I'm, I'm still trying to get it straight in my head and how it works. And, and I said, <clears throat> I said, let me help you. I said, have you ever gone on an exercise or a campaign or whatever? And then you go in the field and you get back to the rear with the gear and you do a hot wash. And then, you know, once you do the hot wash, you put out the AAR and everybody learns what went well, what didn't go well. And then maybe we needed two you know, two supply trucks versus one and one needed to have, you know, extra traction because of and all those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Had, had hundreds of those. Okay. This is it. You're staring at it and they go, what? <laughs> you know, it is it, that light bulb goes on. And I said, these are terms of academia. Hmm. Okay. Reflective observation, right? What would that be? We're going to do a hot wash. Get back here. Well, okay. What went well? Talk to me. Section one. What did you, what went well? What didn't go well? Right. Same thing happens in the civilian world. Here's the problem, though. You walk in and HR does that pre-interview, right, to kind of figure out where your headspace timing's at. And they say, well, tell me how you lead a team. Mm. And you go, 
Let me tell you what. First of all, it's about motivation. We get in there, we rock and roll, we make things happen. <laughs> we don't sit idle by it. You know, I got their back 24-7. They know they got my six. We cover things. We make it happen. We get out there, we run something, it goes down. No problem. We get back to rear of the gear. We do a hot wash. We do an AAR. Next thing you know, we spit that out. We run that thing again, and we knock it out of the park. That's how we do. And they're like, what? That, 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 that sounds amazing. Uh, and then, of course, they do the obligatory thing every time, which I appreciate them, and they mean it. They say, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your service, <laughs> all right, because right? they mean that. But but that is a that is sort of an icebreaker transition for them because they want to make sure they get that in because they don't want to be disrespectful. And they go, well, it, it certainly sounds like you're very motivated about leading teams. Absolutely. We make it happen, Captain. That's what we do here, you know. Right. Now, now, when you transition from the military, everybody on this podcast who served understands exactly what I said, okay? All right. <laughs> No, nobody's going, what does that even mean? Right? You know, but, but the poor person in HR never served a day in the military, perhaps. And they have no idea what you just said. And the way the process works is when they're done, they have to give a short list and they take that to the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. I know I was one. And, and they go, well, here's this guy, Mark. Um, I put him like number seven on the list. I mean, I I think he has what we have. I mean, he's very motivated. <laughs> I just didn't really understand a lot he was saying. You know how he's throwing a lot of that military jargon stuff, and then you know, you know, Bob, that always confuses me. But but he seems very motivated, right? But if you walked in, and they said, "Well, tell me what's your approach on leading teams." Well, I'm glad you asked me that. You know, well, first of all, I make sure that I create and build a collectively resilient team. I do that by first of all creating a positive climate. Climate's critical in a team. Everybody knows that. All right. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to provide purpose. People have a purpose at work. They understand how they fit into the bigger picture and how important they are. They're going to put forth the effort because they know they're counted on in this team. And then we're going to make sure that we we develop cohesion. I, I don't I don't like people working in silos. We work as teams. Matter of fact, whatever area I got, I'll talk to logistics or supply. I'll get a couple of tables. We can have team tables. They can solve problems together back there because that's how we're going to do it. We're going to work together. You know, we're going to get this thing done as a team and everybody's going to contribute and be heard and respected for where they're at. The way I lead teams is I create a psychologically safe environment. Why? I believe in active listening. Some of the best ideas come from the frontline people. Anybody with half a brain knows that. And that's how we roll. When we get these together, we're always going to have something that's not going to go so well. It's okay. I manage expectations. We talk about these things. We don't hide them. You know, we don't believe we walk on water. We know we're going to have troubles and we're going to be ready for them. We're going to put contingency plans in place. They're going to feel good about that. And the other thing we're going to do is once it happens, we're going to do some reflective observation. We're going to talk about what went well, what didn't go so well. Then we get to abstract conceptualization. I got to make a decision. I want to add that in. Let's include ideas two and three. Let's change up our document and uh, send it over to me to review once done. Thanks. And now we're going to go out and do it next week. So we're going to run some active experimentation. How did those two additional steps that were shared by the team on ways things could be better? And then we're going to check that. If everything's good, we might do status quo and hold for a while. If not, we might move back into reflective observation to make it even better. We go through that cycle because we believe in team learning. Team learning is how we succeed, team goals. And we make sure the whole team is getting smarter the whole along the way. You know, And then ultimately, I'm kind of hoping that as I work my way up, this organization has a culture that supports organizational learning. Because we all know without organizational learning, change really is impossible. And they're like, okay, is, it, is that... Is that good enough? You want me to go on? No, no, that, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And they go, so, so number seven just became number one. 
Why? Because there is no military translator in HR. Okay. And when you go through this, you've lived these things. Your years of experience count for so much. But speaking the language, I, you know, my 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 comment is always, this is like, <clears throat> this is like being somewhere in Afghanistan and talking to a tribal chief, and you don't have a translator that speaks Farsi. Good luck. Let's see how far that gets you. Okay, <laughs> it, it's going to be a bad hair day. Very confused people staring <laughs> staring at each other. Okay, well that's the same thing when you walk into HR. But you have gone through this certification. You understand. You can speak this language. And I'll tell you everything in there that you've learned will resonate with HR personnel, uh, managers, hiring managers, because they understand you get it. And it's not like you're just speaking words. You've lived this. If you look at our requirements just for a frontline supervisor, say, for example, that has a high school diploma, you have to have at least five years of shared and direct leadership under your belt. If you have a bachelor's degree, three years of shared and, and direct leadership under your belt before you can qualify for that. So we are taking leaders and building them to become smarter and wiser about what is the ingredients that makes collectively resilient teams and how do they click and what's the output of that. So anybody in HR would go, you get it. Yep, I agree. And I have a feeling that people are going to record your your interview that you just had (laughs) and use that as a template. (laughs) Feel free. I I, I don't have a copyright or trademark, so feel free. I, I share with all. Yeah, but you know it's really important that you sh- you recognize that because sometimes uh, industries mm-hmm. see military as something separate. There's mm-hmm. a disconnect. There's a there's an sometimes a lack of understanding as far as how our skills transfer over into d- industries. And mm-hmm. as militaries, we fa- we fall victim in being able to not properly articulate how we are able to translate our skills. So when you look at a certification such as RBLP that gives us the tools to be able to highlight and to be able to validate and complement our experience and being able to translate it, it, it goes so much further than just having letters behind our signatures. Um, there's value to it. And it's, it's so important to recognize that. Absolutely. A- absolutely. Anybody who, who walks away, and I always tell folks, I was, I was on another podcast. It was about lessons veterans learned, right? And I said, well, somebody didn't give me a speech translation class. Okay. So I had to work my way through it. Even though, you know, my, my, my college degrees and stuff, that was very important and stuff. But but when you live 28 years in an environment, it is ingrained in the way you think and communicate. And then you kind of forget, right, that you're talking to civilians who have never been in that world. But I always say this, if with the certification, I mean, you, you're you're resilient because you've proven that with your years of service. OK, uh, if you successfully completed your tour of enlistment or retired or whatever the case may be, you have already shown that you possess individual resilience and collective resilience because you had to do it with a team, okay? And and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay in transition, trust me, okay? It's going to take some getting used to, just like anything, a new duty station. I don't know where this is at. I don't know what they're saying, how it works here. You figure that out, right? But with this certification, you can walk in with the confidence that, first of all, you listed on your resume. Second of all, it's going to catch people's attention. And I promise you, somebody in HR, when they go to look through your resume, they're going to go, what is this 
resilience building leader professional leader leadership professional certification trainer what tell me about that well, i'm glad you ask and now it's on so yeah i i'm i'm happy to talk to whomever uh, is interested in that so all right. I know you mentioned earlier where mm-hmm. the website is, but yep. I just want you to reiterate um, how to apply and uh, where they can go. Yeah. So the first thing folks want to do is they want to come to the Resilience Building Leader Program website. Uh, if you come to our website, the first thing you will see is across the top uh, that we have, you know, there's the homepage, obviously, you land on uh, if you go over. Uh, I always ask folks to go check out the requirements, right? So you click on requirements and then what you can do is go right there and it'll show you, okay, I have this. Now, what's great uh, for folks in, you know, civilian sector, uh, it tells you, okay, and we asked the question, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll say it again. We ask on the application, how many years of shared and direct leadership do you have? And people sometimes get stumped by that a bit. And I always say to them, I go, well, it, it's, pretty straightforward because one of the things that we're asking is um, those of you have been leaders, have been in charge. You you didn't always weren't in charge. You became what we call the 2IC or the second in charge, right? And what you found as shared leadership, sometimes your responsibilities and, and obligations to lead were just almost as high as the one in charge and sometimes greater. Um, so, so we don't discount that. And a lot of people just go, well, you had to be in charge. No, we say shared and direct leadership. So count for those years. Then when you look at the requirements, you can say, okay, I have a bachelor's degree or I have a grad degree and whatever. If you're in the military and you're going through cool, we've even taken the effort to go and put the, uh, requisite ranks that are equivalent to each certification. So you wouldn't have to sit and, you know, go, well, I got a grad degree or I got a uh, undergrad and I've got this many years. Just look at the ranks and that tells you straight out which one you're qualified for, because we know what comes with that. Um, Then once you look at that, go to the application part right there on top, you'll see apply. Uh, So when you go to the third uh, spot there over from the left, it says apply. And then all you do is go there. You click on that. You fill out your application, fill in all the information, complete your education, your background. Like I said, years of shared and direct leadership. Uh, all your information. It's going to ask you to create a username and a password. So that way, when you come back and then you submit that application, at which time the process will go to our support team. They'll review that. They'll look at your background, what you listed and attested to. And then they're going to provide you an email response saying, you know, we, you've been found qualified uh, for the RBLP, either P, C, or T certification. And then what they're going to do is they're going to ask you to, um, return to our site and to order your exam prep training for that level that you found qualified for. Now, if you're going through cool, you would apply. We would reply back to you. You And once you apply, we'll kick you an email back that says you're qualified for this. And then you would take that to cool. And once they fund you, then we will then send you the next email. So you've been funded by cool. Go ahead and order your exam prep training. And then you would do that. So that's the only difference between, say, folks in the private sector or what have you. Um, we also have a lot of companies that uh, actually reimburse for professional certifications out there. And a lot of folks aren't aware of that. And folks go, I don't think my company does. And I said, well, who'd you ask? Well, I asked Carl down in supply. It's like, did you go to HR? It's like, well, no. OK, go to HR. 
Because again, there, there's one group that is legally bound to tell you what they do and don't do. And they go, yeah, sounds good. And we've had folks go in and do the same. So that's the process. Review the requirements, submit your application. You'll get a response on what the next steps are for you. And then once you order your exam prep training and it's funded, uh, then we will assign a uh, adjunct instructor to work with you in your one-on-one coaching sessions. And then you'll get started. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. I really appreciate it. I know it's going to be absolutely helpful. And when people start to navigate and decide which direction they want to go with their next certification, Mm -hmm. I definitely would like to close out with asking you one question. I feel with you, it's going to lead into probably other things, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, So during your journey, right, and Mm -hmm. talking about as a whole, what is the one thing that you wish you would have known at the beginning of your career or your journey, and what kind of advice would you share today? Um, I mean, it's a really good question, and I appreciate you asking that. Um, I, th- I think the one thing that I could have probably learned and codified, I think I was aware, but I don't think it was stamped in that brain housing group, so to speak, which was you, you're never done learning. Mm. You're never done learning because all things evolve and change. So just, you know, what's the old joke? Just when you think you've gotten all the answers to all the questions, they change the questions, right? And and it's like, well, what happened? You know, I knew it all. Well, it changed, it evolved. And that's, you know, that's a part of life. Um, I I think you need to ask, inquire, learn every day, help others, be uh, be flexible, right? Because very often we become very rigid in our approach and our thinking. Uh, to be more flexible, to be more open to ideas. Um, Because like I said, none of us are perfect at this. And I think the platinum rule is something that um, wasn't, I wasn't really made aware of or came across until after I transitioned. You know, we always, you know, raised, you know, I I was raised in the South. So, you know, the, the golden rule was, was, you know, my, over my grandmother's stove. Okay. There was a plaque, but the platinum rule came along and, you know, the golden rule is, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. And the platinum rule becomes treat others how they would like to be treated. And I think very often we forget that. Well, it worked for me growing up. Uh, I didn't need to be model coddled. Uh, okay, well, not everybody responds to that. So so perhaps you should broaden your horizons and realize you're going to have to adjust. Um, and I think, you know, to me, I think when it's all said and done and, and when you're all done leading teams, your success will be measured uh, as a leader, not on how much money you made or how many projects you led, but how many lives did you impact for the better as a leader? I think that'll be your measuring stick at the end of the day. So those those things come with wisdom and a lot of pain and head bumping. Uh, but, you know, no one really sat and wrote this out for me. Uh, these are things that I just learned over the years. And if I could have got them sooner, it may have been more helpful. But I I'm, I'm resilient. I don't quit. <laughs> I don't tap out. So, so ho- hopefully that uh, someone can take something away from that. I appreciate you sharing that. And um, before I close out, I'm just going to let Eric uh, chime in here and uh, say what he has to say. Yeah, Mark, I, I appreciate everything that uh, that you mentioned throughout the podcast today. Uh, a lot of it does resonate to those of us that are in the military but it, it definitely resonates on the fact that being senior leaders, uh, we think we know everything about leadership 
and mm-hmm. think that, okay, what is this certification going to do for me? It's not going right. to teach me anything, but I can tell you just from personal experience, I didn't have that exact mindset, but going into it, I'm like, okay, a lot of this stuff I already know because of being a master resiliency trainer and stuff like that for the army. But it definitely was an eye opener to see how it all fits together. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the RBLP program continues to grow and really interested about that teen program because that is something that uh, I really t- want to see grow because that's where we're missing the mark right now. We yeah. are missing the mark in that, in that community. And being a, uh, uh, a character does matter uh, mentor, but a mm-hmm. Travis Mannion Foundation, um, it's definitely something that I take to heart. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this RBLP program continues to grow and builds that program. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that, Eric. Thank you. And I know it'll be a huge impact because you're exactly right. You nailed it. I, I think, you know, it, what was the old song? The children are our future, right? And, and I think as we, we go along, you know, COVID has shown, you know, kids had to be individually resilient, but, but who is mentoring? Yes. You know, who's providing that sage guidance and and putting it on a level that they can connect to. And I think that's why, you know, Dr. Gene, he, he started having a discussion with me and I said, oh my God, that'd be amazing. You know, and, and I know there's a lot of educators and youth leaders and various uh, organizations that would really, really take hold of it and really put it to good use for helping young teens. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Mark. I really appreciate it. And just being able to come and uh, explain the, the RBLP program and the benefits that it will have on the organizations today, tomorrow, and for the future. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you, Samira. Thank you, Eric. I had a great time and I'm so glad that you invited me to come on. So thank you. Thank you so much. As always, Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and listening to On The Bounce. If you would like to read more on the topics discussed in today's episode, I have included the links to the research I have referenced in the episode description. Please feel free to share your thoughts and leave a comment. And as always, see you next time.